don't say, wait, this this isn't okay. We agreed to do stuff and I'm only doing my job is it has become an excuse in, in so many in so many ways. Hypertox. Hypertox. Hypertalks. Hypertalks. Hi, and welcome to Hypertalks. Um, this time around, I'm um, being the host once again, me, Chris Blimling. With me, I've got the co-hosts, uh, Emma Olson and Hugo Vitov. Hi, guys. Hi. And uh, our guest of the day is uh, Michael Kazanovitz. Yes. Did I get that right? Yes. yes. Pretty, it's... it's People get it differently. I, not even I pronounce it correctly. Okay. As it should be pronounced in Polish. Yeah, so like we've been starting with check-ins. So I thought we'd check in. What's your most used app at the moment? Let's check in with that. Most used app at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I wish it was my... my. It's called a walk meter. It's the, the one I use to log my runs. But that's, uh, that's my... Uh, least used app that I want to use the most because <laughs> I don't run enough. Uh, I would say it's uh, the mail app. The mail app? Yeah, Ooh. regular mail, Apple mail app. Check in. Cool. Me, I'm using uh, Habitica. It's a habit forming uh, gamification app. It's a little RPG. You get your own little character and you create your own habits and level up. Sort of like Epic Win. I haven't heard that one. Uh, it was just like that. It was, yeah. the, the, but that was more a to-do app yeah. that was... This has a to-do list and a habit list. Like, uh, I wonder habits. if they just changed names. Probably. <laughs> wow. I wish it was something about habits or mail, but it's Tinder. I love that. The honest response. <laughs> Way more social. Yeah, I love social media. Have you tried Happen? Yeah, I have when I lived in the States, actually. Um, it's. Uh, have you tried it? I, yes, it's, uh, I think it's, it's uh, kind of weirdly implemented. Yeah. And I don't think Swedes use it as much. No, so the way it differs from Tinder is that you use it to connect with people you're close to or have walked past. Which is also it's not a, a Swedish broadly, thing. Broadly, broadly, broad definition walk past because yeah. it's like... I think it's 300 meters. So yeah, I mean, but that's the way they want to face yeah, it. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I tried that. I think me and my neighbor got kind of annoyed at each other. I was like, <laughs> you've passed this person 35 times now. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Live next door. <laughs> it's something very not Swedish as well, where it's like you don't really talk to, to your neighbors and then it's, you're supposed yeah, to meet them awkward. on a dating app. Um, I think my most used app right now, sadly enough, is Facebook. Uh, pretty much, but I I use I use do use Facebook a lot mainly because of work, and uh, on my Apple Watch it's the uh, um, uh, workout app. Mm. I log all my bike bike rides, so I know how far I'm biking. Oh, cool, cool. Why sadly Facebook? <sighs> because I kind of wish that Facebook was didn't have that much power. Uh, it's it has too much power. And it's a, a privately controlled entity with a very, which is very opaque. And if I mean, the, the, it's it's nice in the ways they connect us, but it's also problematic because you can arbitrarily arbitrarily be locked out of Facebook or have your account shut down because of what I would call moral imperialism. It's 
its um, female nipples, for example, are not allowed, while male nipples are allowed. And I think, and that's problematic because today, being thrown out of Facebook, and there's no appeal process, there's no way of knowing why you were you were thrown out of Facebook, and that can uh, that that has implications in real life. Mm-hmm. So I think Facebook is is um, a bit problematic in that way. Very interesting. Yeah. So. I was looking at your LinkedIn. I've been looking a bit, researching a bit about you, um, trying to explain to our listeners what you actually do. And it's like <laughs> digital MacGyver is what you have right now. And I would totally agree to that. But what would you actually like to be known for? Or what is it you're... What? So, so uh, it's, it's, it's two things. Digital MacGyver is kind of my, my, my title overall. It, it explained what I did when I ran my own company. Yeah. Now I am employed. Uh, I actually work for Pronto Communication, which is a digital communications agency. Mm-hmm. And there I'm the head of innovation, uh, which has to do with tech. But overall, I work. Uh, I think that I started out as a programmer. Mm-hmm. That was my, my background. Yeah. So back when the internet was young, I. I, or the web, I should say, was young uh, when Netscape was the the uh, first uh, first browser. Um, that's when I started to teach myself HTML, and then I get got into um, coding, and then sort of got into project management, and so so that's that's the way I, I got into all of this. So I have a technical background, but today I work with communication, so I don't program anymore. Um, sadly, too, because I think programming is a very creative. Uh, it was a very creative outlet for me. Mm. Programming is very creative, but yeah. So I think I think this Magari was a good description. But today, I, I mean, I, most of the things I do, I do uh, as head of innovation of Pronto, um, and then I have still have a couple of gigs in my own company. But that's just to keep it sort of afloat and running, mm-hmm. and to cover the costs of of the accounting business. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also seen your name in a couple of other uh, things like uh, Hyper Island just released uh, their trend trend watch uh, mm-hmm. report. I saw your name in there, and um, the other day I saw that you were involved in future job uh, panel sort of in Almedala this summer. Mm-hmm. Where you sort of uh, try to figure out future job titles. So mm-hmm. for those things you're invited to participating as well, right? I mean, that's, that's to me. To me, it's uh, as head of, like in the role of head of innovation or in in uh, this space. It's a lot of it is trying to look at the future and seeing where understanding where it goes and and what happens. So uh, I would say that both those, especially, I think I think the hyper island industry forum is one of the days I look forward to the most. Um, so I'm actually really looking forward to to, to the next time. Um, and I think it's I mean I think it's important to try to look at uh, and and at the future and not only listen to one person but listen to a lot of people. Uh, because I think that there's a collective, uh, it's interesting because the collective intelligence is really more intelligent than the sum of, of the intelligences in the, sort of in, in, in the crowd. I don't know if you guys heard about the, the experiment. I think it was, I think Radiolab, uh, the podcast had it and it was, um, that they used to have fairs that were traveling around and, and they had different like, contests or competitions. And one was guess the weight of, of the ox or, or, or the cow. And um, they actually recreated it and, and, and let their listeners guess the weight of a cow. And it turns out that, that when a crowd does that, the, the average of the crowd comes very close to what the animal actually weighs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you d- only take the experts, they are often not as accurate together as, as, as the crowd in total. So there is something in, in, um, 
in the crowd in and I think that, that there's something interesting in, in the crowd intelligence. That's very interesting because that's something I have believed in, but I haven't heard uh, such a good metaphor explaining it. So because uh, I, I definitely noticed uh, I worked a lot by myself and I didn't uh, I wasn't I didn't do as good as I did when I worked in groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I, I felt like I did the same things, I had the same ideas, but the result was never as mm-hmm. as uh, I never felt as good about it, uh, and it wasn't as good. Uh, and so this is a I mean, the ox thing seems like definite proof for me, at least. I think that's part of me where Hyper is Hyper Island is so important because it teaches you how to work and function in a group and then in a diverse group, and that's that's the importance. The group needs to be diverse because a diverse group gets better results, and especially with the ox thing, the group needs to be diverse. Um, and 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 I think that no, I mean, no idea is born. In, in a vacuum, all the ideas that we get are the results of the times that we're living in. So in a way, I think that inventions and everything that has to do with, uh, with, with inventions and patents is kind of bullshit because it's, you could not have gotten that idea. It's that the idea that you, ideas that you get, they are a sum of, of the times we're living in and humanity so far. Uh, I mean, if we just look at the light bulb, it wasn't invented in one space. Edison unfairly got got credit for it, but it was actually invented in several places at the same time. So it's sort of a, when when we're mature enough, ideas pop up at different places and they do it independently because because we are it, it, because of the times and because because of the way we work. Um, I mean, if you'd isolate a person in, in, in completely with, with no input, they, they would they would never get any ideas. Mm. Yeah. I agree. I think of it like uh, we're in a room right now with four people. The way I see it, the ideas are already existing in this room, and it's up to us to identify them. Mm-hmm. And um, you talk about thinking outside the box. Uh, you don't need to invent thinking outside your own box if you're in a group, because then you can put your own boxes which are different shapes over each other and then you cover a bigger area so that that's how you actually think outside the box for me you participate in teamwork and then you can identify some mm-hmm. of those ideas and the deeper you go the more uh, distinct ideas you can find uh, some of the like most obvious ideas you think of anyone can think of right away like if you're trying to solve a problem or whatever but uh, that's the whole thing about yeah. usually people talk about stealing ideas it's like no you're inspiring ideas yeah. you're, everybody's giving different yeah. kinds of inputs for me it is you identify the same idea two yeah. people identify the same idea the idea itself already existed somewhat and that's, that's what I think is yeah. I, I like stealing ideas I don't think there's such a thing no. as stealing an idea uh, you can you can steal an execution of an idea that, but that's a completely different thing because the, the value of an idea is more in the execution of it than in the actual idea um so so uh, and, and that of course you can steal but yeah i don't think ideas and and i think that's people who think that their ideas have been stolen they are kind of deluding themselves and 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 not really seeing that we are part of a greater whole um and that they did not get the idea themselves it was it didn't just come to them um, and I think that that's something that would be better if, if everybody realized because that would kind of take more egos out of the game and more and, and see to, to more of the collective, um, which is, I think, super important. Um, I don't know if you guys have been to Japan, but, but they often talk about Sweden. Uh, we often, I often hear, hear that Sweden is 
Um, well, first of all, Stockholm is a very clean city, and, and that Swedes are very uniform, and that, but if you go to Japan, Tokyo, it's, it's completely different. Uh, and I would say that they are, in a way, much more collectivistic than we are. Uh, and they, they have, their social contracts are much stronger than ours. Um, and, and I think, I mean, there, there are downsides to it, but I think there are com- definitely upsides to it because they do take care of their collective uh, in a way that we don't. And take responsibility for it as well. That's very interesting, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that uh, uh, one of the apps you use the most was on your or Apple Watch, mm-hmm. and uh, that's one of the things we wanted to talk to you about uh, wearables. Because yeah. that's uh, you, you mentioned before we started the recording that that's that's your your main uh, focus area right now. That smart wearables and uh, what's called nearables and and conscious surroundings. They're talking about smart surroundings, but I don't think surroundings are smart, but they can be conscious in different levels. So it's sort of like how technology starts to permeate both our persons, but also our surroundings, and it becomes more and more integrated. Um, because that will, of course, affect our how we communicate. So that's one of the angles that I look at it. But but uh, I try to look at it from all the angles. Okay, so but for the listeners, so uh, a wear- what's a wearable to begin with? <laughs> that's yeah. a very good question. What would you say is a wearable? It's so difficultly defined because I mean I think we've used technology in that way that we've had them before in everyday life. Um, so like I don't know if the the pager was considered as a wearable back in the days. Um, mm-hmm. So, at the moment, I mean, we're all talking about the different um, smartwatches and such, but I think there's so much more to it. Um, I don't know about you. you. I don't know if I'm the level of my tech skills, but I'd say anything that I would wear with me that's not my phone. And that's interesting because why, why, because I think a lot of people would agree with you, but I would say that that the that smartphone definitely for me to it's, me is a wearable yeah. in in a, a lot of senses but at the same time it's not but i think it but 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 i think it's also it depends on what relation you have with your phone yeah. uh because a lot of people like me for example i know where my phone is 99.9 percent of the time that's one of the things that i know i you can ask me if i don't have it on me i know exactly where it is and I think that's true for a lot of people, especially if you look at that, uh, like Generation Z, it's completely... Yeah. Uh, no, but it's almost like it's an uh, an extension of yourself. It's, right. It's like, it's your brain, it's your heart, it's your arm, yeah. it's your phone. You mentioned Generation Z, but which, uh, are those kids born in the 80s? In the 90s. 90s, yeah. yeah. And forward, I guess. So, I mean, but I mean, that's the interesting thing, right? I, I, don't, I don't think I have a good definition of wearable because... And, and I don't, I'm not sure that, that it's really interesting because what we're trying to do is we're trying to put words on something as it happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that in a couple of years, we, the, the, that term will either be obsolete or will, it will be redefined uh, because of what happens. And that's, I think that's why we've gotten the, the term nearables, which is the like, technology that is sort of activated by, uh, by us coming close to it. iBeacons is probably the, 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 the best example, but um, I think that the prism, which is a, a thing that you put between your speakers um, and allows you to sync the music taste of everybody in the room so that you so that 
you only play music that everybody likes and no, no songs that, that, that people hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is interesting and that will identify you based on Bluetooth, so, which means either your Apple Watch or your phone and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and that's a wearable. And then if you look at um, like a lot of wearables start up in the health sector, so they uh, track your activity to begin with and then they start tracking more things. And sleep is one of those things that you today, it's, it's, it's hard to track sleep with an armband or with um, something that you wear. Uh, so the best sleep trackers today, they're actually integrated in your bed. Mm-hmm. And, and the, so the question is, that is a nearable, but it's got to do with the health. And it's also part of sort of the conscious home because your bed will be conscious about when you are in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that the, the term terminology is not as interesting as, as, as the actual technology and what it enables and and what it does to us. Um, that that is, I think that that is very interesting because I mean we're living in times we were sort of living in this giant experiment and we we have no idea where it ends up and it's 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 I mean it's 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 happening fast. It's eight years since the first iPhone yeah. and now. And, and, and today the, the, the smartphone is like, it is like you said, Emma, it's like an extension yeah. of us. And within five years, I think that the smartphone will no longer be a thing because the having this, having to reach into your pocket to take out this screen, uh, will be seen sort of like the, I don't know, the, the old style TVs uh, that are big. You'd be like, Oh well, God, that's quaint. Why do you have still have one of those? Uh, so that would, that I think that, uh, that will, that will change. Do you think it will be a change of both, like in a physical sense, that we're we're switching out certain, uh, like if okay, my my eyes are getting pretty crappy, I'm going to switch out an eye to integrate, or I'm going to add a chip to it, or is it? A- I I think that that will happen too, but I think that that's uh, uh, that's further in the future. But it's, in, it's I think it's super important that we start discussing that because mm-hmm. if we look at technology, so if we if we just back up and look at technology, like how we integrate uh, with with the, with the machine, because I love the the term the the one machine uh, for for the internet. I don't know if you've seen the TED talk uh, that. Uh, uh, what's the name of the editor of Wired? Uh, who, uh, oh. Kevin Kelly. He 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 was the one who who kind of coined the term the one machine in a TED talk 2007 when the web was 5,000 days. So he was talking about the internet as the one machine, and and we are parts of the machine in in a very real sense. And today, uh, with the smartphone, we passed a, a a very important milestone because that was the first time when we could no longer did no longer choose when we were in touch with the machine. All of a sudden, the machine could get in touch with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, more importantly, today we need to take, we, we no longer choose to be connected to the machine. We choose not when not to be t- connected, when to go off grid. And so, so the friction is becoming lower and lower from having to sit down in front of your computer to reaching into your pocket. And wearables and like the, the smartwatch um, make it even easier to do. And I think that in the future it will get even even easier. You will no longer, I mean, essentially it will become integrated in us. If you look at uh, Microsoft HoloLens, uh, which will be out at least in the developer version next year, or if you look at uh, uh, Magic Leap, which is uh, Google-backed, not Google Ventures, but actually Google themselves um, backed it, um, which also does does the same thing like augmented reality. And if you have that, you no longer need the phone. Uh, so all of a sudden you have the whole world is, is your screen uh, whenever you need it and when you don't need it it's, it turns off and then we have this part of so what happens when we actually so can improve 
eyesight by so, so people who lose an eye can get better better sight so people who lose an arm can get better so i mean we're already seeing that with um, um with uh, um, runners in the olympics that there was there was talk about the guy the, the guys who have artificial the artificial legs that they, it's cheating and i'm like well if it if you think it's cheating cut off your legs and, and, and get a pair of them. I mean, that's, it's open to everybody. Yeah. And, and I think we will need to discuss that more because it will be, so technology, when technology can enhance um, people who don't lack something, should we do it? And should it be accessible to everybody? Um, because if you can get like eyesight, if you can get uh, eyesight that's much better than, than your eyes, and it's only available to either people who lose an eye or people who are very rich and can afford it, that will create differences. So do you think it's like right now at this time of maybe it's starting to become a more collaborative culture, but as this technology itself develops and it becomes that some people are more enhanced than others, will you, do you think this individualistic kind of behavior will come back? I, I, ho I hope not. I, I, I have no idea. I hope not. I hope that the more connected we get with the machine, the more, the closer we are. Because I mean, right, right now we can tap into sort of the hive mind. So we can, so we go back and forth. Yeah. Uh, when we need, when we need an answer to a question, we don't know. We go online and and we we either Google it or we ask our extended network. And the friction for that has 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 become lower and lower. So I mean, just ten years ago, it was it was kind of a hassle, and it took like a long time to get an answer to a question, even if you asked your digital network. Yeah. Today, you can ask, and you can and you can get it pretty instantly. So, and and I think that there's a strength of that. So I think that that it, we will become more uh, connected. I hope at, at least that, that we will be. But what I what, what I'm afraid of is uh, partly that I mean we will see people who are afraid of the technology. So we will see. I think the Luddite movement will get. Uh, a big comeback and I think that there would, this will create friction between people who get enhanced and people who don't get enhanced um, and also um, I mean like I said we already need to start discussing like what happens with technology when we have technology that can enhance um, normally functioning people and then I mean that that goes for drugs as well because I think technology and 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 uh, biohacking goes hand in hand. Mm. So what happens, for example, when um, say that so so there's just this, this smart drug that a lot of people use. Um, I, I I've done um, uh, tries with it, which is called modafinil, which uh, originally came to treat narcolepsy. But what it also does is it increases your focus and it makes you a better functioning. And if you look at, at, at uh, meta studies of it, it shows that the, the side effects of at least short term use are, are um, pretty much non-existent. It's, it's better than coffee. And so, so it, it kind of enhances your cognition if you're, uh, especially if you, if you, if you, if you're normally functioning, you, you get a little bit, a bit better focused for the day when you use it. What happens when we get more medicines like that? Um, is it ethical not to give them to normally functioning people because they will become that much more highly, more highly functioning? And if you do, should you subsidize them? Because it's, I mean, it's, is it, we subsidize medicine for sick people, but if we don't subsidize them, then it also, then all of a sudden, again, becomes a question of class and uh especially money hmm. and I, so i think that we're standing in in, in uh, it's it's exciting times but we also have a lot of challenges and when it comes to both technology and uh, and, and society
Because it does come down to one way who decides on who gets what. Right. Uh, like there is the amount of resources we have. Right. Um, that some people will get more than others, and will they excel yeah. past them? Mm-hmm. I don't know um, what you're thinking, but like all, all these ethical issues, like all I'm thinking is I don't know. I don't. I mean, we. Uh, th- th- it's very complex. It's. Uh, uh, I mean, I do feel uncomfortable about like a unfairness uh, if only rich people will be able to access something but it's like how do we even what does that mean for the development for for how we should let things develop it's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very uh, complex yeah we should be looking at like uh, some people will explain like yeah we should look as humanity as a collective so is it that some people should be excelling to push humanity to its forefront or edges and what happens to the rest of the people it's, it's a very difficult and if you do it like that, how do you choose those? Players? Yes, who who gets mm-hmm. to what and who gets? Um, but I think you still have to somewhere along the line, there is a wave, and you can either like learn to surf mm-hmm. or you just like get hit by it. Mm-hmm. And somewhere you have to adapt. I think I think that, that I mean I think that that we will within our lifetime see uh, a diversity between if we look at, at at the bigger picture between people or humans i think that humans will start evolving in a different way because we no longer are just victims of natural selection uh with for example crispr uh we have we have technology to actually to actually change dna in living living organisms we can inject and we can change dna then so i mean what, what sorry, that, what's CRISPR? crispr crispr is a technology to essentially exchange pieces of dna so okay. you can actually go in and and use it to 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 modify your DNA. And this is something that is existing. And fun- it's existing, and I know the Chinese uh, scientists have been using it on embryos, and that's it's been a huge debate, of course, because uh, it's an ethical question. And I understand that there's an ethical question, and I think it needs to be discussed. But I don't think that the answer is to just ignore it or or outlaw it because. Uh, that's the problem with knowledge. Once we know how to do something, we can. It cannot be unlearned, yeah. um, and it will be used either way. And we so we can. And if the tool is dangerous, we can choose either to try to use it for good, or we can try to ignore it. But you can be sure that someone will be using it anyway. So I think that that is a, a sort of the problem with 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 knowledge and tools. It cannot be unlearned. It cannot be uninvented. That, that's like the red thread. Uh that is reoccurring, I think, with the development of tech. Like, will will it and can it be used for evil? And uh, uh, how big of a problem is that? Like, but isn't it that everybody's going to fear? Uh, like, you fear knowledge, and how knowledge is a lot of power. And like you're saying, once it's out there, somewhere along the line, yeah, you have to be able to control it. But you can never prohibit anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we already see that. Like the the drug debate that's been going on for the past few years. Like more and more people are going over to leniency because it's you can't prohibit somewhere along like people find a way to access it or mm-hmm. want to do it and it's the same with now the way we communicate it's so much easier to mm-hmm. to find that knowledge that is needed um i have this <laughs> i remember a friend of mine in class i think we were in seventh or eighth grade we were supposed to have a presentation on something and his presentation was on how to build an atomic bomb and that he had already found on the internet. It's like, okay, if as long as you don't have the connections to get the uranium, you're good. Um, then you're safe. But mm-hmm. other than that, it's like there's, it's out there. Exactly, and that's and, and and that has connections. So that gets connections. Uh, what connects back to uh, equality and like making sure that everybody have 
enough and uh, and education. Yeah. So it, it has implication for so many things. And I think uh, I, I don't think there are many people who use technology intentionally for evil. Um, but I think that the way that we are set up as a society, the consequences of a lot of technology will be detrimental to us as a society. And uh, be, so, so, for example, so we started talking about Facebook and like, I don't like the way Facebook has gotten so much power. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Mark Zuckerberg is an evil person. I actually think he's, 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 he's brilliant and he does a lot of good things. And I don't think that anyone at Facebook is, is, uh, is evil. Uh, but uh, if you look at the whole, what Facebook is doing is they're trying to take over the internet in a way. They're trying to like sort of build the wall garden. Instant articles is the latest thing uh, that, that, that is it. And if you look at, at service done in, in countries that aren't well connected, uh, there are more people saying that they use Facebook than people that say that they use the internet, which is interesting. So they don't see Facebook as the internet. And Facebook also has this, this project, which is called internet.org to bring internet to these. And, and, but I mean, are they, but if they also have a walled garden where, where all the content is, and then they also have uh, a, a arbitrary power to lock you out if you do something wrong, or mm-hmm. sorry, n- not even if you do something wrong, but if you do something that offends enough people. Uh, for example, uh, like the, the debate with, with women who were breastfeeding, like you can't post such an image because you will, you will get blocked uh, or, or locked out of Facebook. So is, it's nobody at Facebook is evil, yet the results are problematic. So I think that's a, that's a problem, and there are too many. Uh, I think that we are too trained in in groupthink. We don't say, "Wait, this this isn't okay." We agree to do stuff, and I'm only doing my job. Is is has become an excuse mm-hmm. in in so many in so many ways, and I think that's that is one of the problems. Um, and the other and, and and the other problem is that we don't have enough. People who are like um, Elon Musk, I think that uh, he's—I I really like him because I think that he really does have humanity's good in mind whenever he does things, and that's always a factor for him, which I actually, honestly, don't think is uh, is for everybody. Uh, not even Bill Gates, who has the Bill Gates Foundation, because I mean, he uh, he actually works with one of the patent big patent trolls in the U.S. Uh, so, so. What do you mean with patent trolls? Patent trolls are companies that that uh, that only sit on patents, uh, and then they sue startups uh, that infringe all those patents, and these patents can be very broad. Uh, so, for example, for podcasts, there was actually someone who had a patent on podcasts, uh, or not podcasts. It was on electronically distributing, and it was. I mean, it was such a vague patent. And the um, EFF actually, I think it was the EFF, uh, together with someone else, who actually challenged this and got. The, uh, the the patent nullified, but there are lots of these patent out, patents out, and there's one of these companies I don't remember the name, uh, but there's a This American Life has made two uh, two episodes. It's not a podcast. Yeah. Uh, this American yeah. Life is a podcast, and they have made two episodes of, of, about this. And this these companies only exist as sort of parasites on in, in, in inventors and startups, and they sue them for just enough money that they know that the startup will barely survive, uh, but they will be able to pay it. And Bill Gates is one of the one of the people who actually works with these companies. And I mean, to me, that is actually an evil thing. That is mm-hmm. you. Th- and, oh. and 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 th- and this company also, ha- of course, has, has a lot of excuses. But if you listen to This American Life, which actually is, a, I mean, I think the journalistic integrity of This American Life is is super high. And if you li- li- listen to them, I mean, it's it's ugly. It's really ugly. 
Uh, we, we, you talked about group thing uh, regarding um, what we allow sort of these corporations to, to get, like the power we allow them to, to have. And uh, that's us as individual users of either Facebook or, 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 or Google apps, I guess. I, I don't use Chrome as my regular browser, but it doesn't really matter because I use everything else Google. Yes, for that same reason, I don't want to give them too much power. But I guess, I mean, I use Safari and they probably uh, use my data the same way. But uh, even if we think about and reflect about like the power we're giving them, we have to decide whether or not we want to participate and maybe drive development into something good. Uh, but whose responsibility? Is yeah, or, or I mean, or step out because yeah. we can't really. It's not easy, I think, for most regular people uh, as users to do anything else, uh, resistance-wise, than just uh, getting off the grid, and that's not really reasonable, as you mentioned, anymore either. So you can either try to resist and be off the grid and not really be a part of society, or you can participate either because you don't care or don't think about it, or if you think about it, it's still not an easy decision to make. Like, mm. well, how do you? I mean, isn't uh, it like you have to play the game in one way? Yeah, mm. and there are not enough. Like nobody knows the rules of the game, but somewhere along the line, you have to figure them out, or you could start creating the rules. Um, yeah, about the like. And even like these these nearables you talked about before, uh, if I get get a, a nearable in my bed, that data of course can be used somehow by someone for or any data like the nearables pick up can be used for f stuff that isn't good for the world. But I mean, if I want to drive development of those kind of stuff, I would participate. So it's a difficult decision ethically for for each of us, I think. And that's I don't think we're set up to have the, that that conversation because it would need to be had on so on sort of a. Um, on, on a bigger level, I think we would need politicians to talk about who, who actually know this and talk about this. But I don't think that there's any country that has that that, that has politicians that actually do understand it and, and understand the the implications and the problems. Um, so so it's it's not it's just not being being done. And I think that the, the I think the bigger problem with with groupthink. I mean, for the users, I, I think the user you are essentially powerless because especially in Facebook, Facebook doesn't care if you. If you drop out of Facebook, because you're one little one little dot. I mean, you're one in billion, <laughs> in more than yeah. a billion, and so so and, and and your loss is so much bigger than Facebook's loss, and that also comes to like this. We talk about Facebook paying you for your data, but your data is worth much more to you than it is to Facebook. Uh, so so I mean, you would get pennies for your data essentially from from Facebook if that were if that were possible. But I think it's it's also like working for these companies. I think that in a lot of companies, uh, when you work for them, you, you, we stop actually questioning and we only say, well, this is my job, I'm just doing my job. And nobody is, is I think that everybody would should, every company should have, well, for example, Facebook should have someone who's on the user's side, who's always like, who has a, a mandate to veto things and to say, wait, what about the users? Um, and I think that, that every company also sh needs like a truth speaker, someone who who can speak a, a very blatant truth and who can be like the conscience of, of the organization. I think very few few organizations really do have an ethical ground to stand to stand on. A lot of companies are doing a, a compromises, and I mean, look at for example Nestle. I mean, they've done some really questionable stuff. They're still doing questionable stuff. And I don't think anybody who works at Nestle is evil. It, I think it's just that we get blind and we get into this group think and we think that that's not my problem, my problem, or my fault. I'm just doing my job. Yeah. I've been thinking about that for quite some time. That um, uh, basically any corporation in the Western world, at least, uh, 
is uh, in its uh, basis a, a share. Most companies are shareholders' company, and they all have like it's capitalism. And they all have well, every company has like that basic first thing that they the, like the biggest first purpose that comes for all, and it's making money, and. Uh, which put everything you do within a business model, within a company, in that lane, sort of. Even if you have some extra uh, side purposes of, of what, a, what a company should do uh, to make the world better, it's still in that, it's have to survive in the world, which means that it's still in that lane to make money. And that sort of puts us in a direction. And that's the way the wind is blowing if, you, if you're in, in a company or in a corporation. And it's so difficult to... Even if a company would want to, even if the owners and shareholders would want to do it differently, that wind, that direction of making money is so strong, I think. Yes, uh, I, I agree with you. You need to really make... But, but there's, there's this such thing, you know, the Kickstarter recently switched yeah. over to be a company for public good. So there's, yeah. there's, there's a, a, you, can, you can be and uh, go over from not only being a for-profit company, but you can also sort of put it in your... Um, in your DNA to also do public good. Mm-hmm. Does that help, like, practically? I, 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 I think it does because because that puts puts other goals than just making a profit. So yeah. you have several guiding stars, and I think that there are many ways. To, and then and then there's also a question: How much profit do you want to make? I, I mean, do you want to make five percent, and then you want to if you want to increase it to ten percent? Well, what are you willing to do, Ryanair? Is a company that is willing to do pretty much anything. I th- I'm pretty sure that that people who like Ryanair, I would companies like Ryanair, they would actually kill people if it was legal and they could get away with it and make money off it, because they have no morals and no. It, it's it, like everything is up to to you. If you if you agree to it, it's 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 fine. But then there are are companies. I think if you look at companies that are that have this public good in them, they want to do they are consistent of individuals that want to do something that is meaningful that is fun and we also need to talk about when is it enough when are you when when are you making enough uh, when don't you know uh, when, when do you no, no longer need to increase your margins um and and like fire employees or whatever and we don't i don't think and i mean we, i don't think we do it on a personal level either i i recently was was thinking because when i when i moved back to sweden I started my own company and I was like, okay, so now I can work as much as I can, I can work a lot and make a shit ton of money or I can work, work less. And one of the things that I decided was I want, I, I want to work less. I don't want to work a lot and I need to start thinking when is enough enough? When am I making enough money? Uh, when do I have enough stuff? And I think that that was, that was such an interesting thing to start thinking about because I mean, just. 12 years ago, I was working as a, at the gym. I switched careers for a while and worked at the gym and made, I mean, I think 14,000 a month or less than 14,000 a month before tax, which was nothing. And, and I wasn't happy. I wasn't, I'm not happier today than I was then, at least not from like that perspective. So, I mean, a lack of money can make you unhappy, but after a certain point, it doesn't make it that much of a difference. And instead comes a sense of entitlement that, uh, that comes with the money because you always keep comparing and you sort of grow into this costume and, and then you have this sense that, well, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm worth this, but am I really? Uh, and why we, and, and so, so we don't talk about that and we don't even think about that. And when we don't, that's when we become blind and we sort of just want more, 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 more. But isn't it like, uh, let's say money is the, the food for a company in a way. If you keep on eating, more and more you need a certain amount of food to survive 
But if you keep on meat eating too much, you'll get overweight and you'll get problems. And I think that's the similarity in that way. Like a business doesn't need to make a shitload of money. Yes, then maybe you want to make a child. So you want to be able to feed that child um, with, or that company in one way. But do you think we, maybe we need, like, for example, if you're talking about politics uh, in that way, that we need to add a ministry of tech and ethics, or... I, th- I, think, I think that we already do have, I, I think that uh, in Sweden Social Studies, and, uh, which is uh, like a combination of what the FDA and... Uh, uh, so what's the FDA? That's uh, Food and Drug Administration okay, yeah. uh, in the U.S., So, so there will be like Livsmedelsverket and Socialstyrelsen in Sweden. But uh, so we already do, but I don't think that they they don't they don't even know where to begin. Yeah. So they haven't even started to talk about these issues. Where, but I know that in the UK they that they've come further there. So they they've actually discussed these, started to discuss the ethics of it. So what happens when we get smart drugs, which we will get? It's not a question of if we get them. Uh, it's a question of when. And when we get them, is it ethical? Is it ethical not to subsidize them for people who are normally functioning? And because then that that, that will separate people. So as I mean, I, I think that we already do have them. I think that we just need people. We, we need to look more more forward. And we need to prepare for big changes. And I mean, what happens when we start to eliminate a old age as 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 a, a cause for death? That will transform our society in in such a fundamental way. And again, like we were talking, like no idea pops up until uh, ideas pop up in several different places at the same time. One was ready for them. And if we just look at aging, for example, aging today we have at least two commercial companies that have as their goal to to uh, eliminate aging as a cause of death. And mm-hmm. uh, one of them is Google's Calico, and the other one is uh, Craig Venter's. Uh, oh, I don't remember what that is called. But he was he was one of the uh, he he was one of them uh, the the people who uh, mapped the human genome um, and they have different approaches and then uh, you have Aubrey de Grey and who has a foundation for this this and and it's talk about there's talk about VH, uh, WHO classifying aging as a disease yeah, which I mean again is a sign that we are we are close to the point so what happens when people no longer die of old age. That will that will transform our society in in another way that that we're not prepared for, mm. and I think it sounds as sci-fi for uh, a lot of people, and I think a lot of politicians. It sounds like sci-fi to them, but it's not. I mean, I there's there's a very big chance that the first person who will reach the age of two hundred um, is already is born, already is living. It could be you. But I mean, it's, I I think I I I wouldn't be surprised if people if people who are under say fifty or forty five today. Could actually live to be two hundred because it will it won't be a quantum leap it will be incremental increases but if you don't dip below the line so I mean I mean if you look at, at death as as the final line and 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 you're sort of plunging towards that there will come small increases that will sort of lift you up a little bit and then we have the next increase so you will sort of keep floating and uh, in the end get to there and I think I mean that that depends on a lot of things um, but but yes I think that there will be. And I mean that that I mean what happens with with pensions? What happens with with children? Uh, what happens that, that it, it has so many implications? Mm. Uh, yeah, when you quit your job. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, that, that's exactly, and that, that's why I don't. I, I mean, I I I think pension saving is 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 a stupid thing to do today because you lock up your money, um, and and sort of towards an age when you're supposed to start working by 
But I, I think that we will need, need to change the way we look at work because working is, 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 is not something that you will need to do to survive. Working is something that gives you a lot of meaning mm-hmm. uh, and it should be in more and more increasingly. And we know that, that going retiring is actually one of the biggest killers because once people get retired, they sort of lose uh, the connection to the work, the, the, uh, to, to, the, to the people they work with. They lose like a sense of meaning and if they don't find that, then we, they actually die faster. Mm-hmm. I personally fear going to pension. I'm like, I can't imagine myself not doing anything. I'm like, even if I go into a pension, I'm pretty sure I'm going to try and work with something else. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to go into pension. Yeah. I was like, this dream of like, okay, I'm not going to do nothing. Yeah. No, I can't do that. But I think, I think the, the, the pensions that uh, uh, we look at as sort of seem nice are, are the people that actually are organizing social kind of stuff. Yeah. So they're sort of working in a, in a different sense, not to make money, but to mm-hmm. uh, they maybe organize a trip somewhere for a, a big group of people. They, they actually mm-hmm. do like active stuff and they do. But that's, I mean, that's a privilege. Uh, this is one of the like one of the tangible stuff in this entire discussion that I am sort of prepared for. I'm, I'm expecting us, uh, I'm 29, I'm expecting to work way longer than 65. I, I don't see how it can change. Uh, that age limits will probably oh well, it, it, it will change. I think I, I yeah. think that they're under because you, you know those orange in Sweden you get the the orange uh, envelopes yeah. with your yeah. with your and then you see, sort of see the, the the curve for the expected um, expected uh, life expectancy and I mean right now they're increasing it because they don't know again so they're increasing it uh, at at the pace that is increasing so. And therefore, they also so they, uh, so. If you look at at my age group, we uh, I, I'm expected to live a couple of years longer than, for example, my parents. But I think that that will because once once it starts to happen, it won't be a regular curve. It will become exponential, mm. and then we're in 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 trouble. But that I mean, and th- that but that also comes back to research and everything. So I think I think in a in a in a way we need to start reforming so many things, and and I think this sort of comes back to Hyper Island because I think to me Hyper Island is the best way of equipping people to deal with this problem because it's dealing with change and it's also understanding your role and trying to understand other people and not only not only uh, being like my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. That's something we talked about in episode six a bit. Like if I mean if you expect to work for fifty years plus or even longer, then uh, I mean, there's no way anyone is going to work with the exact same thing or I mean a lot of people will will, will whether they like it or not have to uh, uh, be able to change because their their working life is going to be so different I mean I guess people that are retiring today that have worked 40 years probably went through a couple of big changes like and, and you have to be prepared for that I think that we underestimate humans when we say that when we judge future generations past, past, uh, based on past generations' performance, or the, the recent generations' performance. Because I think that, that, that this will not to change that comes from, from our, our closest generations, that they didn't have to, they didn't have to deal with it. Yeah. But I mean, we are so, our brain is so plastic, and we are amazingly adaptable. And I think that we, uh, overall, I think that we will learn to adapt to whichever society we live in, whether it will be like a Mad Max society if we end up in that, <laughs> or if we end up in a more Star Trek uh, uh, society, we will be able to adapt to that. We'll be able to adapt to change. I think that that's. I'm kind of optimistic there. So, so I'm not. I'm. I'm not as afraid uh, of of people not not dealing with change. I think I'm more afraid of 
the way there because I think we we have a rocky future and it's not clear what the outcome will be. And then also staying collective in that. That's my biggest like concern, what you would say. Like, how do we make sure everyone, like the people that are designing artificial intelligence, that they are from all over the world, that they're representing different ages, that they're not just one type of person from one mm-hmm. type of place. Like, so it's bringing all of those things together. I think that's the hardest part. Are you, are you afraid of, of the singularity? Singularity... No, no, I'm not following. Uh, of singularity, so when we invent the uh, artificial intelligence? No, I think or it's super exciting. I think mm-hmm. I'm really, it's super exciting. And robots, I think it's really exciting, like, bring it on. But I think that it's a little bit scary that people, that that we need diversity when we design it. That's when we need, like, collective groups of mm-hmm. individuals that are different, so we get different perspective. So they're not just all the same. Or, or that so, that AI gets different perspectives in its learning. Yeah, ex- exactly, it, as well. Um, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. But yeah. so it's not just one kind of moral that's being designed or one kind of... Because then I think it becomes really dangerous. I think that's, that's sort of like a... Uh, the assumption is that we care about the future of human beings, sort of like... Because yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm a bit afraid of singularity, I think. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure why, really. Because like the... the, the the downside, what could potentially happen, we've seen in movies. I saw, I saw the new Avenger movie a couple of weeks ago. When there's an AI that turns completely evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that could happen, and that's scary, I think. But, uh, I mean, uh, when I think about it, uh, it I'm, I'm scared of it because I, I, I care about the future of human beings. Like, even after my, my own death or my son's own death, I... I somehow just inherently care about the future of our species. But aren't we in one way just the sexual organs of all machines? Um, and we, we can choose either to join them... Uh, well, no, exactly. I, I, yeah. I think that that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. Because I, we're con- constantly creating stuff. Yeah. And we're building machines. And I, I believe that we will eventually reach this point where we're going to create an AI who might be smarter than us or who might be faster than us in one way. Um, but uh, integrating with them... Or us being them. I wasn't afraid of the singularity until I read the uh, Reddit uh, had, uh, or there was an AMA asking anything on Reddit with uh, the CEO of Singularity Institute. I think mm-hmm. uh, they are. They they have their mission is to build a human friendly AI before someone else creates an AI. Just happens that or well before. And reading the interview with him was very eye opening because. I've always thought, uh, and of course, why sh- wouldn't it be human-friendly? Human but if you look at humans, we are essentially the result of a lot of chemical processes. Um, and we are the result of, of a long evolution. So we, we do have the basic like reptile uh, brain functions. And then once we evolved from that, we got the mammal brain. And that was needed because we all of a sudden we couldn't, we wouldn't lay eggs. We couldn't get like a hundred kids and it didn't matter if 90 died because we still had 10. So we had to develop the mammal brain and the mammal brain is, 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 has got like basic feelings like love. So I mean, that is just an, a function of evolution so that we, we will sort of keep going with just one or two kids. And then we had, we were, were fortunate enough to develop the frontal cortex, which, uh, which allows us to some abstract thinking. Problem solving, sort of awareness, consciousness that is on a higher level than, say, tiger. But 
a computer does not have that. Yeah. How do you teach a computer that it's bad to harm other harm humans? And if you look at it, how do you? This was actually what convinced me. I I, I recently stopped eating uh, red meat because of a question uh, that, that that someone put forward. They were like, so how do you explain to a computer that works only on logic that you you cannot hurt, harm humans because well why well either because humans have some sort of work, but no, we, we, we're, we're conscious, we're, we're, we're aware. Well, a pig is aware on the same level as a three-year-old. So why would, why would the computer not kill three-year-olds when we kill pigs? So, so from that perspective, I could see how, how an, an AI could be born and be, have a completely agenda that we don't even understand and com- look at us the, way, the same way we look at ants and be like, this anthill can't be here because we need to build a highway. So we just trample it, we just, we just kill that. And that could actually happen. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, I also don't think that, I don't think that the singularity will happen as it is described. I don't think it will be a moment when, when uh, like a singularity moment when the AI is born. Uh, um, because I heard uh, there's a Dutch, or was a Dutch scientist who said that the question whether a computer can think is, is, is as interesting as the question whether a submarine can swim. And I think that, he, that 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 sort of got me because I think that we're living in the singularity. I think that we will become the artificial intelligence. Yeah. I think that we will meld with machines. I think that the future human will be part machine, uh, and we will use the machines to do the stuff that's really that that the machines are good at, which is calculations, uh, advanced calculations. But humans are really good at other things, and those things machines aren't good at. And I think. If we develop, we will sort of become the artificial intelligence. We will become that that powerful bio in in, in our own selves, sort of. Well, yeah, that's sort of comforting. Comforting. Yeah. Comforting. Yeah. Well, I think we we should start wrapping up a bit. Like, um, just like one last question. Like, where where do you think in you know, the next few years? Where where do you think we should be looking at what what is uh, what's going to be exciting? I think that the single most exciting thing for me is augmented reality because it will transform uh, our, our communication in you know, virtual reality too because it, it, it has the potential to, 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 to teach us you know, in, in ways and, and actually uh, increase our empathy. I don't know if you heard about the, the, the project where you get to switch bodies with another person using Oculus Rift oh, and, it, uh, and it's super interesting because it, it turns out that people who, so all of a sudden you can pers- you can at least have a female body or you can be another skin color than you have and it changes your behavior towards people with that skin color if you if you have this experience so we we ha- so so that will transform us and i think that that's so both virtual reality and augmented reality i think are the most interesting things to look at and i think they will happen soon i mean magic leap is very secretive so we don't know what that happens mm-hmm. But it's pr- they're probably not far after Microsoft, who are releasing the developer version of HoloLens in uh, <coughs> quarter one next year. Yeah. Could you just quickly explain what uh, augmented reality is? Augmented reality is is uh, essentially uh, uh, painting up digital images directly on your retina or in a pair of glasses, which is a, which is uh, uh, Microsoft's way. But and Google Magic Leap is painting it directly in your retina, so that you essentially see things that aren't there. You can. You can I'm looking, render. I'm looking forward for the Pokemon game. I don't mm. know if you've heard of it, where you're going to see real life Pokemon in the real world. Mm-hmm. So wherever you're walking, you're able to see them. Um, but it's of course it's a digital image, but it's you see it's like fusing both the digital side and the 
like I'm going to become a Pokemon master soon. <laughs> just, saying that. Like, just so you know, I, yeah, forget about the last episode where I said what I was going to be in my title. I'm going to become a Pokemon master. Yeah. And I, I would go if you just Google uh, Magic Leap demo. Uh, there's a, there's a video filmed through Magic Leap that shows exactly how it works, and it's it's quite quite interesting. So it's essentially like uh, having a, a your mobile phone and uh, as a reality reality overlay. Uh, sounds really cool. Yeah. yeah wow. So well, we do have checkouts as well. So I was like, what what checkout question do we feel like today? Uh, my head is full of stuff. Maybe <laughs> top of mind after this hour of talking about everything. Sure, sure. You wanna go, Chris? My top of mind is uh, like I've said a lot. I still look forward to the future a lot. I, I enjoy the change. I'm looking forward to it. seeing how well I can adapt myself. Yeah, I'm super excited as well. Yeah. Don't know. We'll see how Tinder works in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Can you swipe in real life? <laughs> Can you touch the people you're gonna swipe? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking about like whether or not I can hack, hack augmented reality so that I maybe that's how Tinder will work in the future. So that uh, I appear as. Sort of amazing as I would if I, if I in, in in front of people's eyes as I would if I put like a pick the best pictures of me and put it on Tinder. Check out. I think for me, I just I, I got reminded that uh, I I need to sort of start thinking again more about when when is it enough and how can I live a life that contributes to the greater whole and at the same time makes me happy. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take that project up again. So if people want to continue this conversation with you or like contact you somehow, what's the best place? Is it? Hopefully, well, it should be up. I I uh, if, if you just Google Michael Kazanovich, and I think that Google actually has learned to correct my last name because it's <laughs> uh, it's n not many who have it. So I actually think that Google auto corrects my name now. Um, if you even if you misspell it, that is impressive. Uh, well, it's it's because there's no not many people who have the last name. It's a family name, and the other people in my family are not very digital, which I'm thankful for <laughs> in this case. So they can either do that, um, uh, and especially on Twitter, it's very easy to to uh, because I use Twitter a lot. So that's it's at Kazanovich. Yes, yes, exactly. All right, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, so you. Much. Bye. Hyper talks. Hypertalks. Hypertalks. Hypertalks.